0: vocational uh, education spaces, quite a cluttered space.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech podcast and this series episode of the VocTech podcast Learning Continued which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. My name is Sophie Bailey and you are very welcome. A big shout out to UFI VocTech Trust for supporting this new series and vocational skills development in the UK through their investments and grants in vocational technology. And a big congratulations also on your new brand launch. Go and check out ufi.co.uk to see that in its full splendour. You can follow online at hashtag voctechpodcast and at podcastedtech and at UFI Trust on Twitter. This week I'm in conversation with Sean Gere from the Ministry of Education in New Zealand to talk about vocational learning reform. We talk about improving standards in vocational learning, how to involve the wider community outside of training providers and employers alone and creating hubs of best practice. If you're into vocational learning and technology, there's absolutely tons to work through in this episode. So enjoy and don't forget to feedback with your comments at speakpipe.com forward slash the EdTech podcast, where you can leave a short voicemail with your thoughts. Okay, here we go. Yeah, absolutely delighted. It's 9.32am in the morning here and just gone half past eight in New Zealand, I'm guessing. So delighted to have Sean Gear, who is an integration advisor across employer, business and industry within the Ministry of Education of New Zealand. So welcome, Sean.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, nice to, nice to be here.
1: So, a little bit about Sean. He works in tailored support to demand side audiences, including employers, business, and industry and philanthropy across a variety of communities. His role involves leveraging, building, sourcing, and consolidating information to improve connections, understanding, and relationships that help young people to connect between education and employment to enable them to discover passion and purpose in their lives. And he has been involved in a new bill on the reform of vocational education and training, including seven key changes. And it's this work today that I'm excited to get to know a bit. So welcome again, Sean. Thank you. So just to kick off an easy one, what five words would your friends use to describe you?
0: I am a doer. I like to get action done. High energy, always keen to disrupt, uh, is probably another word working in the fringes, and I'm really, I'm kind of, what would you call it, student-focused, or everything I do is kind of focused around the young person or the person that's, I guess, that the purpose of education is, is around upskilling people. And my, my kind of focus has been more into the secondary school system here in New Zealand and also those young people who may have just left the secondary school system and are kind of transitioning through tertiary or are trying to find their purpose within that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to connect within yeah, meaningful work.
1: That's interesting. So that was one of my later questions was that, you know, you'd sort of define that you were more driven around sort of youth employment as opposed to the employment generally. So how did that come about?
0: I kind of fell into education. I I didn't have really a, a great experience myself through through school. Everyone thought I was like really good at sport, and they kind of pushed me down that that path. I didn't really kind of understand the purpose of school or the value of education at that point in my life. I then was quite keen. I was always interested in helping young people, and that was mainly through sport and through coaching. And then when I kind of dropped out of university, I kind of went when I – in New Zealand, you kind of turn 20, and then you can kind of get that entrance through rather than sitting you at school. And from that, I dropped out. I got a job. And through that, I earned some money. And like, oh, man, this is quite good. And uh, then I ended up falling into kind of training, learning and development, uh, training staff through induction training. I then went overseas and went, actually went to the UK and played cricket for a season. And I really matured as a person through that experience. So I came back to New Zealand and I I went into the recruitment space, which I found quite interesting. Because then I kind of realized that I had all these transferable skills, these skills that employers really valued around communication, attitude towards work, teamwork, things that we kind of see or we say today that young people really need uh, and what employers need. And then through that, I actually ended up working for a private training establishment in New Zealand and helping young domestic students here in New Zealand get jobs post-graduation. And then I worked in the international recruitment, international market for a bit and recruited students to New Zealand from India, Middle East, Thailand. Sri Lanka and yeah there I ended up working in tertiary at uh, Polytechnic here in New Zealand and yeah did domestic managed the team here and then went into the industry training space and again focused more on helping young people get into apprenticeships uh, and then I funnily enough I ended up working you know, job at the Ministry of Education, so.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, qu- that's quite the CV. It's one of our questions that we always ask guests is, are there any jobs that people listening wouldn't know about? So any that you had perhaps when you were growing up or that, you know, inform that skill set, but may have been a bit more part-time or kind of informative in a sort of kind of uh, tangential way?
0: I just did some jobs to get money. And I guess everything's kind of built, built a foundation and a lot of the, the similarities in the early jobs, like I was a paper boy, I did, I was, I was a painter for a holiday, I did a lot of work in petrol stations, so building up communication skills and being able to communicate with adults and other people that, that aren't in my family or in my surrounding community, I felt that that kind of gave me a real good platform to build on. Uh, nothing unusual, really, it, Yeah.
1: So moving on to the the kind of main bit of the podcast, before we start, can you give some context of the employment and vocational or technical education landscape in New Zealand? And just to kind of preface that, I see a lot, and it's both in Australia and New Zealand, but around vocational and the sort of politics. And I guess it's for our listeners to understand sort of the legacy of vocational education leading up to these reforms that we're going to talk about as well?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try and keep it quite high level and without going too deep. So I guess the the Labour government that's currently in here now uh, in New Zealand, when they were elected, they basically had a a lot of work in the pipeline that they were proposing that they would change across the whole, like multiple agencies across New Zealand. They're looking at the social services, wellbeing, housing, Everything that kind of is sort of the backbone of New Zealand education was is a big portfolio that the Minister of Education Chris Hipkins was really kind of focused at. How can we really transform things that aren't working so they are, I guess, fit for purpose? There's a lot of kind of negative data around our Native Maori here in New Zealand uh, around their the outcomes or the the lack of qualifications attainments through secondary school and into tertiary uh, in a, as well as for the Pacifica community here vocational uh, education spaces quite a cluttered space there's at the moment there's like 16 polytechnics or institutes of technology in New Zealand and you know New Zealand quite small a small country and they're kind of scattered across New Zealand the the funny thing is is like in Auckland being the largest city in New Zealand You've got Unitech Institute of Technology, which is the largest in in New Zealand. And then you've got the Monaco Institute of Technology in South Auckland, based there. In Queen Street, which is the main street of Auckland, like right in the heart of the city, you've got every other Polytech that is in the other regions. They've they've set up international campuses as kind of like a feeding ground for international students because they land in Auckland and then they basically can just stay in Auckland And it's really the system's providing some incentives around some real bad practice. Uh, And it's created a lot of competitiveness in the system. And it means there's that competitiveness exists and it really dilutes the quality of education that we really pride ourselves on in New Zealand. And so I, I guess the minister, through the proposals, is saying, look, look, we need to remove competition. We need to look at how we can create more equity in the system and more access to vocational education for everyone. And that's not only for young people, but also to upskill, reskill regional people and be more aligned to matching the skills and qualifications that industry need. We And he wants to bring industry more to the front of the conversation to have more input over what qualifications are required, what skills and credentials are needed to, to ensure that we are creating better outcomes for industries but also for people to get jobs and sustainable jobs as well so part of it's looking at how do we reset the system around priorities around funding funding models and so redesigning the funding model. so i guess again that's sort of tried to remove that competitiveness that that happens around mainly where institutes of technology and politics now are, are kind of looking at their heart is within kind of rural New Zealand or in metros. And that's where they, all their, I guess, all their kind of bums on seats model is focused. So the idea is that the model will, will, will create maybe more satellite campuses out in communities that may not have been able to access training before, as well as you know, in New Zealand, nine out of 10 employers don't train. So we've got like one out of 10 provide work based training. And that's that's quite, you know, a shocking um, statistic, and you've got, again, another layer in the system is industry training organisations that I guess they manage all the apprenticeships, cadetships that kind of earn and learn a model in New Zealand. There's 11 of them, and again, there's, you've got this, you create this competitiveness between the institutes of technology, industry training organisations, and then you've got the private training organisations as well. It's just a mess. I guess part of the reform is to realign everything and and really look at how can we support more employers and industries to do training based then on the future of work and, and the advancements or exponential growth of technologies and really address some of these statistics around youth unemployment, people being underemployed and actually thinking about lifelong learning as well. So how can we support employers to ensure that their staff retain the skills that they need for the jobs that we don't really know about yet. So keep it simple. There's like seven proposals to try and, I guess, reform vocational education in New Zealand. And it's, you know, everyone agrees that the changes are welcomed. And obviously there's there's still some things we need to work through around the unknown factors within the review. Because with any change, with large scale change, there's obviously some hesitancy or some nervousness and some negativity that, that comes with it.
1: Thank you. And just for our listeners, so the the kind of reform that we're talking about is introduced by the Minister of Education, Chris Hipkins. It's the Vocational Education and Training Reform Amendment Bill. And the aim is to create a unified and cohesive vocational education and training system and help New Zealanders prepare for the future of work. So you can all go and uh, look up. I'll um, hyperlink a lot of the the resources and documents around that as well. And so, Sean, what's your own role been in that reform process? Those seven points that you mentioned, where have you been mostly addressing those points as well? Um, so so mainly my, my role
0: has been out uh, in the field <laughs> as such. It's, it's generally we, we wanted to to try and, and involve as many employers, industries and businesses as possible and in, in what they feel a vocational education system should be serving them like we was really wanted to get to the heart of you know if they're training then you know how how could they train more staff or where's the where's the bugbears for them if they haven't been participating in an in industry training or training their staff, or what, what what have been some of those barriers and really kind of getting that voice like a lot a lot of this stuff is just trying to talk to people who really haven't had a voice at the table And and for the Ministry of Education, New Zealand, it's really bringing in, you know, employers and industry to share their own stories and experiences of, or frustrations, or you know, success that they've had through education. And we generally are trying to look at all the industry associations, business associations, all the collective groups that exist in New Zealand to really feel like they can have some sort of say and, and, and I guess some control over what what this system should be providing them now and into the future to give them some sort of confidence around industry training and the value that it could offer their business so my role has been kind of working with with a broader team around making sure that people are informed and are aware this is happening and the impact that it could have in a positive way to their business and then um, bringing them in, into the conversation and and enabling them to input into this because yeah, it's it's a it's a massive opportunity within the education system to to really get this right. We don't want to have another ten years of of this not really being a fit for purpose model. So I think it's critical, and and, and it's you know looking at you know, other models around the world, and everyone sort of talks about Finland, and you look at other places like Germany, like where where really you've got a, a culture, of, a, a country that really values vocational education as equal as. A university or more of an academic pathway. So, you know, New Zealand, we are, we talk about we're hands on, you know, DIY, number eight wire, you know, the whole thing that goes with that. So, we'd really love our education system to reflect that and for our young people to have options and choices and that so that they can go through the system seamlessly and have something that's really relevant and valued and will enable them to move forward into. The world of work with some confidence and employers will have some confidence in their ability that they will be better prepared for the world of work that's in front of them.
1: What would be really useful is so there's seven main key changes in the proposed reform. So I think in terms of our listeners, especially those listening into the Voctech podcast episodes, these seven proposed changes would be really interesting. And they kind of range from You know, engaging the Maori community, more disabled learners and employees. How we improve access in that way to sort of aggregating some of the main or major industry sort of represented across New Zealand. And then, as you mentioned, the funding. So, I don't know if you want to just like sort of highlight some of the proposed changes and 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 what's uh, being developed there.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I can uh, go through. So, give give a bit of a, a highlights of it. So. So the seven key changes. Like the the first ones, to look at developing workforce uh, development councils. So these councils, they're basically going to be the industry governed bodies that give industry greater leadership across the vocational education um, system in New Zealand. So they will be led by industry and employers. They will really, technically, kind of help inform where the needs are and, and do a bit more of a forecast around try to, to look at where where there might be a need so we can be a bit more proactive around having relevant qualifications and training available. So th- th- we don't know yet how many of these workforce development councils there will be. There may be four, there may be seven. It hasn't been agreed on yet. That's part of the continuing conversations. The minister's developed kind of a transition governance group around uh, next steps, they're looking at uh, the Polytechs Institute of Technology falling under this New Zealand Skills Institute of Technology by 1st of April next year. So that's kind of a short time frame to really look at bringing those Polytechs all under one uh, umbrella. And then, yeah, these Workforce Development Councils will all will, will start to, to take some shape. This is kind of like moving parts. Everything's kind of moving bits of the puzzle um, together. The next one is establishment of regional skills leadership groups. They'll provide advice around skills needs uh, in the regions, and they'll work with the Tertiary Education Commission. So the Tertiary Education Commission in New Zealand, they oversee all, all the all the current funding that the tertiary sector gets. So they set the parameters around contracts and, and, and the funding. They, they, they manage the, I guess, the investment from government and, and education and tertiary education. The Ministry of Education's involvement in that—we we set the policies uh, around tertiary education. When you touched on the the Maori Crown partnership. So Te Mata Nui is is an establishment group to ensure that I guess the vocational education reforms reflect a commitment by government for a Maori Crown partnership. So I guess it, it's quite key that Maori are really again are at the front of the table for this really to. Ensure that it, it benefits them and the, and, and the iwi, uh, and also you know, mighty Maori, Maori economy in New Zealand is, is worth over five billion dollars. So it's a massive opportunity there, and, and it's really awesome that um, there's a there's a focus there on how this can really meet the needs of the community and, and the, of the people, and there are also. They've got a lot of young Māori coming through the school system at the education system at the moment that really potentially are going to change the shape of the New Zealand workforce. So that's quite exciting. The next is obviously the the, the big one, which is, as I said earlier, it's creating the New Zealand Institute of, of Skills and Technology. The Institute itself, the, I guess the unified body that's sustainable, creates a public network for regionally accessible vocational education. So, again, it's bringing the 16 institutes of technology under one. That's kind of a, a big chunk that everything, all these sort of pillars will fall, fall into. The next one is, yeah, shifting the role of on job learning and industry training organisations. So, the existing 11 institutes of technology will be dissolved. They'll fall under this new New Zealand Institute of Skills and Technology. That transitions over a two year period. So, 2022, I believe, is where. They'll need to have that transition in place. So, I guess that the main thing that will will shift the ITOs. They do a lot of the pastoral care and hands-on support of apprentices and, and trainees in the workplace at the moment. So, that will just shift under to align under the the overarching Institute of Skills and Technology. The next one's establishing centres of vocational excellence. So, they'll bring together. I guess they'll work. Uh, Across the workforce development councils, they'll work with industry experts and leading researchers to grow excellence in vocational education provision, and they'll share high-quality curriculum and program design across the system. So I guess this is sort of an area where you'll have people who will be very connected to what's happening potentially overseas as well to sort of look at best practice. A lot of this sort of, there's some good stuff that already happens in in New Zealand around vocational education. I guess it's trying to get some consistency over delivery and designed to be, I guess, reflecting what the local needs are too. And then, yeah, the last one's unify the vocational education funding system. So I guess unify the funding system to apply across all the provider base. So that's sort of looking at what does funding look like if a learner is based at a campus or Is doing a block course at the Institute of Technology, and equally, what does the funding look like for workplace learning as well? So that's across, I guess, looking at level three to level seven in the qualification framework, and it, but it excludes degree level qualifications Mm -hmm. uh, at the state funding. So that's yeah, that's generally the sort of the overview of the, the seven key changes, and yeah, as you mentioned.
1: Is, is some of that funding, you know, going to be essentially free for employees and for, for students?
0: Yeah. At the moment, the, this government brought in a fees-free policy for young for young and, and for, I guess, new to tertiary students uh, rolled out last year. And that was across uh, any uh, level four or above qualifications that your first year would be fees-free. And, the, and the, then they made then their commitment was potentially to be over two years, then three years, but they've had to review that based on funding needs and other areas of the education system. So that's kind of been looked at. Like the, the impact of the fees free policy that they rolled out really was nothing, which was interesting. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a surprise, but we, we're seeing this downturn in young people going straight from school. You know, the traditional linear model straight from school into tertiary study, or even be motivated by the fact that tertiary education or well, their first year is free. That's sort of been quite interesting for, I guess, for the government to think about. But I think, you know, a part of this opportunity is to look at, well, how can we incentivize more, create a funding model that incentivizes both employer and trainees to engage and, and other communities to engage in the space around sort of playing the long game and whether, you know, that's potentially looking at, you know, uh, supporting employers to take on staff in, a, in an apprenticeship-type r- arrangement because a lot of New Zealand businesses, small to medium-sized enterprises, and they're generally, you know, the business owners are working in their business. They don't have bandwidth to work off the tools or uh, to support or mentor a person although they, they may need it. They need a succession plan, we are an aging workforce, all, all the kind of same trends that are happening in other areas of the world. I think we need to really look at how can we get that right? What's the right support? What will it take to really ensure that everyone, every business kind of sees the value in, in training? So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's, you creates a great opportunity. I and mean, that's kind of why we want um, your everyday business owner that may be, working in a trade or have a particular skill to really engage in this conversation and and be aware of what the opportunities might mean for their business.
1: Part of that seems to be sort of connecting industry employers and employees. And I was looking at your role in terms of events and, and also yep. the Voluntarily platform. And so I just wondered if you could share a little bit about how you go about connecting those stakeholders because essentially that you know the podcast series that we're doing that's what it's all about is connecting them all and it would also be interesting to know from your perspective based in New Zealand how you see for example some schemes such as you know the apprenticeship levy here in the UK and like whether they seem a a sort of success story or whether it's kind of more complicated than that but just like yeah how, how you go about connecting all the various stakeholders in this space would be really interesting. Yeah,
0: in New Zealand, like because we're so sm- small, well, small compared to other parts of the world, I've I found like I've probably got one of the best jobs in the ministry. Like, because I'm out, you know, connecting with communities, with employers, with other keen partners that really see the value, either in giving back or wanting to be part of the conversation or the solution and mm. informing young people, making them aware, and even really looking at, from an educator perspective, making our teachers aware as well that the world of work is rapidly changing. And a lot of them, you know, I've got a, basically a, a tsunami of employers that just want to, they, they, I get calls or messages every day around you know, we're, we're thinking about you know wanting to you know engage young people. We want to connect with schools like that. Just, I'm I'm really overwhelmed with the willingness of industry and and business and employers to really wanting to connect. So that that part's really easy for me. And there is a real sense now in in, in the compulsory education system in New Zealand, like even back at primary and intermediate years and kind of secondary as well, but. Um, employers looking at wanting to play the long game because they, you know, the the, the short game isn't working for them. So they know that they kind of need to go back and you know start a conversation and, and really looking at how and getting some feedback around, you know, talking with people, you know, they might be transitioning from primary school to the intermediate or in, into high school and and really wanting to have a career conversation around, hey, you know, this is our world of work. This is what we do for a job. And just to kind of broaden the young person's horizons and really trying to inspire them and and then connecting that back to school around, you know, to give the young people a sort of a, some idea and context of it's really important to you know to retain science, technology, English and maths because it's a real good foundation and, and give the young people some sort of purpose of why they need to why they're going to go school and also potentially partnering with a school and educators around designing curriculum or providing some expertise or looking at flopping the classroom and taking the kids for a day or a week or whatever that time frame looks like out of school and into the world of work to really kind of keep that motivation going and that engagement. Schools in New Zealand here, you've got a kind of variety of traditional schools who still have siloed subject areas, pick six subjects. You've got a fixed timetable. Careers education is limited. You might have one careers advisor in the school to 2,000 students. Um, that's really a real tough gig. So we're trying to add value in that space around, I guess, removing barriers and working alongside schools in the communities to give them a sense of what is out there and what's available to re-inspire teachers around the value of you know, their subject area. And we're seeing schools looking at, in New Zealand, we've got this. This model called community of learning. So, in a particular area of New Zealand, like you'll, you'll have a number of early child care centres, you'll have a then maybe two or three primary school primary schools, you might have one or two intermediates in a high school, and that, that we call that a community of learning. So, they, they they generally work together around the educational journey, and through that lens, you can kind of get a sense of you know sharing resources. We generally so as an opportunity to take the, the notion of community a bit further to say, hey, look, community of learning shouldn't be in your bubble. It should look at how do you involve whānau, which is family and um, Māori, and and how do you bring them into your community because they're learners too. So how can they learn alongside their, their son or daughter and also they potentially are employers or what are your local employers and, and you know, I guess blurring the school gate. So how can you really look at engagement and looking at how you can think smarter about resources? Because schools are real. There's some tension points around how do we spread workload? Um, how can we really design our local curriculum that's relevant for today and in the future? And for me, it's been able to support schools to disrupt their thinking a little bit, support them, and showing them sort of role modelling about. Bringing people to the table, and that's been employers and the voice of the world of work. And I guess me just then stepping back and just seeing that those relationships really evolving. So that's kind of been you know part of my work. And, and through that, it's, through the events thing that you mentioned, is just that's a real easy, safe thing to do. You have a have an event, you bring uh, a, a bucket load of local employers and industries that are really passionate and they've got things to show off um, and they've got some real real cool people with real stories. And and the good thing is it's like you can look at their alumni and then where they're working now. So just rather than, you know, again, some schools think of alumni by, hey, we want to do some fundraising or we want to, you know, source some money, look at the actual skill sets and the value that they can bring back to inspire the next generation coming through. So we've been doing, you know, in New Zealand, careers events typically have been I guess course advisor, advisory events where you've got all the tertiaries there, all the universities talking about their programs. But there's very little link between why should I study this and, and what does what the kind of the job look like afterwards? So we're trying to think of what's a career, what are the kinds of jobs, what are the skills that I kinda of need, and then I can look at well what, what kind of training, further training might I need or qualifications might I need depending on what my pathway might look like. So it sort of still keeps their options quite broad rather than comparing university with university. So running, running cool events that really immerse kids through an, ex, an experiential way with some inspiration involved, we're seeing, you know, real good feedback from young people, teachers, because it's real awesome to for them. Well, as employers, it's just a real good feel-good thing. You know, they might not see immediate gains from that, but, you know they'll get a real good morale boost um, and strategically it can kind of align to uh, work further down the track around that but i guess that's not the, the main intention of them
1: no i love that idea of broadening the idea of communities of learning because yeah and it must be incredibly empowering to bring the kind of wider family in and also the local industry as well on that note i mean what are the kind of Big industries in New Zealand, so you know where where can people think about and when they think of future of work if they're thinking of new zealand
0: yeah so i'm I'm based in Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand, but I grew up in Southland, uh, which is right at the bottom of the South island of New Zealand in a rural semi rural setting so I guess the people probably have a perception of what New Zealand is, and you know clean green sheep and <laughs> and all sorts but I guess we, we, we've got quite a massive growth in, in, in tech in New Zealand, so and they've got a real challenge around attracting young people into that sector uh, fast enough. It's, it's more of an accelerated process around that. So tech or employers having that skill set that have are tech savvy or are able to upskill quickly. So there's that. There's also the marine industry, so we've got a, a little event happening in, in a couple of years called the Americas Cup. So that's that's booming at the moment around around the marine industry, around boat building, uh, around event and infrastructure. Also, you know, most most people come to New Zealand for a holiday, so the tourism industry is is, is as you know again one of our we're quite well known for that. So there's there's that, and there's obviously our primary industry. So with tourism, it's more of a challenge there is that there's a perception in New Zealand around it being casual work, low paid, but poor conditions, working conditions. So there's a there's a nationwide campaign called Go with Tourism at the moment that is is really trying to look at setting some real key standards around best practice of how do you attract talent, how do you bring talent on board, how do you retain talent and and, and grow that talent within. So the Economic Development Agency here in Auckland has been leading that work. They set some real awesome standards around paying above minimum wage, having a individual training and development plan for that person, as well as commitment of of hours. And they've been able to provide some tools and support around employers, so that's that's really cool. Especially with you know our image is quite important. That the brand of New Zealand sort of relies on our tourism industry. Uh, you got primary industries as well, which is you got your your agriculture, horticulture, viticulture, uh, and our, our pit fruit industry, which again really struggles to a- attract local uh, locals to those sectors to do those jobs. So there's some strategies around the government investing in. Supporting people into those those jobs and and into into those locations as well.
1: To, To what extent are you sort of seeing technology play a part in terms of you know whether it's recruitment or training once people are within those sectors?
0: It's been interesting. Like I haven't seen anything be truly successful or groundbreaking. There's a lot of platforms. People seem to be on this wagon of building a platform for young people to connect to, or people to connect to, and you know, creating e-portfolios, and, and trying to saturate them in the market, really, so people don't really know where to go or what to do. There is sort of talk around tech goods, so how can we actually work collectively around developing technology that will add value? So Go With Tourism is one platform that enables young people to sign up onto, or young and old, I should say, sorry. And really, you don't need any CV. Uh, and if you register an interest with, a, with an employer, then they, they they must call you. So it's just trying to remove all those those real barriers around that experience for a person to confidently apply for a job and actually get some feedback. So that's been quite good because they've, they've kind of looked at everything else that's in the market here in New Zealand, looked at what's not working and what has or might work. And that's more from a candidate perspective entering into the job market so that that's been quite good to to sort of see um and that's sort of really the only thing I can kind of think of is that, that's really cool
1: and then a couple of the things that you you pinged over before our interview was I think the acronym is DTNHM curriculum I don't know if you remember that yeah. I, I won't pronounce it correctly otherwise and then the other one was the pathways and technology just as two examples of I suppose going back to curriculum and going back to young people before they're getting into the world of work and, yeah, developing some of that STEM mindset, I suppose.
0: Yeah, so so the digital technologies curriculum is um, uh, really technology in, in New Zealand, digital technology, I should say, didn't really have a home. It didn't really sit anywhere. It's It kind of needed the support to develop something that was really robust and could potentially sit across the New Zealand curriculum uh, rather than another standalone subject area. Schools are being supported and it's to be rolled out and embedded into schools as of next year, so 2020. I'll I'll just quickly talk about, you mentioned earlier, voluntarily. So part of a way of supporting schools and educators to be prepared for delivering the digital technologies curriculum, because again, you're looking at some educators who May be a bit unsure about being confident with technology, other than the the young people in their room who might be a bit more savvy around how technology works or be a bit more curious. Voluntarily was built as was being built at the moment around a three way marketplace where you've got in New Zealand you've got corporate volunteers volunt- voluntary days. There's roughly around a hundred thousand hours that go unused in, in the corporate world, so all these corporates have these voluntary programs, but there's really no no benefits other than you might have a day off where you might go pick up rubbish on the beach or go plant some trees. So, looking at those real big tech companies and actually looking at the talent inside of them and how can you refocus that into supporting schools. And you've got a lot of content providers. So, you've got providers that have all these products, all these services that go into schools and actually teach classes or um, develop lesson, lesson plans. And then you obviously got schools that maybe prepared may not need to engage in in this marketplace but you got a hype of others that we we know that would prefer to potentially think about well i've got this problem or you might have some leaders who might not have the skill set or capability in their teaching stuff just yet they could potentially hop onto this platform and go hey look uh, i'm looking at teaching something can, in the area of artificial intelligence i need some help <laughs> so and then obviously they can put an inquiry in and then you'll have some tech people there that can go yep yeah, cool i'm I'm quite familiar with AI I'm really keen, you know, I can kind of commit two, five, ten hours, and then hey look, I don't know how to engage young people, I might not be best with being in a classroom you know so then they can look at what content providers out there can can, can come help support their process, and the platform really is is looking at technology and stem in the first wave of it and but it's got the potential to look at other sectors and industries as well because it's just trying to remove you know, some of this middleman and some of this stuff where schools get overwhelmed with inquiries and people wanting their time and wanting to sell products where they could just go there when, with, with basically with what their needs are and what help they need and then there'll be people there to help them. And then, and then we're looking at potentially how students in a project or an interest area then they can hop onto the platform too, and there'll be some things happening in the back end around how that process, that experience might, might be managed as well. So
1: that's really interesting because, yeah, it becomes much more about what do I need some help with as opposed to, like you say, you know, becoming sort of product led where perhaps there's not always a problem. Yeah. That's still in the build phase at the moment, is it?
0: At the moment, I think they've got another, what are they calling it, like a, a, a hack week coming up. So you've got all these people, these, these techies, coders and developers, using their own time to build this platform. So you've got a lead trust, the Pam Ferguson Trust, that are leading the work. So they've got a couple of full-time staff that are, are, are leading the project. But then they're just connected into mainly young, and majority of them are, are, are young women, coders and developers to, to help build the platform. So they yeah they're hoping to have it I think done by later this year and it they're testing it as they go so they've got a number of schools they're used to test it and then they've got a number of big employers like Datacom here in New Zealand it is is the biggest company that that are on there where they've got some sort of staff they can do some some mock-ups and, and some some trials through that so yeah so by 2020'll it be go live and yeah it's going to be exciting to see it obviously it's going to be you yeah, know something new to the market but got a lot of confidence and it being quite a good solution of adding value to, to something that uh, the education system would need.
1: How do you get your own learning? So inspiration, is it from like reading, podcasts, Twitter or networking? How do you keep your own ideas up to date?
0: I, I'm on LinkedIn. That, that's my workplace, really. That's where I get all my ideas, inspirations. I, 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 ver- I get a lot of inspiration through Talking to people from different parts of the world—it's a—it's a great platform. Uh, it really complements my work. I'm able to kind of get a good sense of the ecosystem globally of what's happening in the vocational education and the education space, and even in the world of work. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the future of work. I'm really curious about how we can think about that space. Like I've got young young kids, and you know, I'm thinking. My youngest, you know, 20, thirties, she'll be leaving school. And, you know, based on all the research and all those papers and reports that are out there, I'm excited. But only if we can really look at having a more responsive education system to ensure that they, current and future young people, will be in the best possible position that they can be. Because right now there's a lot of challenges and things that aren't serving our current young people in the system at all. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad. You know, New Zealand's got one of the highest suicide rates in, in the developed world around youth suicide. So there's some real big issues and how can we use education for good and technology for good. So again, you know, and I go to LinkedIn a lot to just to, I guess do a bit of a scatter and, and and see what 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 else is happening. And then it's sort of, you know, you're able to have those conversations and and yeah it helps me keep sharp. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of obviously your podcast just because of the variety of people that you talk to and I, and I do spend a lot of time in my car um, and, <laughs> you know, Kiwis and people that live in Auckland would know that I, I live kind of an hour out of the city. So, it, you know, I've always got some downtime to, to sort of push play and, and, and just chill out and, and tune into to kind of hearing about cool things that are happening across the world.
1: And if people want to kind of connect with you and find out a bit more about what you're up to or, you know, follow your work, is LinkedIn the best way?
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm quite active. I post quite a lot. A lot a lot of the things I post, I get some interesting connections through that. A lot of curious people. Again, that's where I get all my leads and I'm able to kind of role model things that, that we're doing. It's something that the Ministry of Education is, is choosing to share more on because we we generally know that. It is an awesome community of, you know, there's a lot of positive vibes happening there. So, yeah, if people want to reach out, then, yeah, LinkedIn is where I'll be.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sean, because I know I've taken up some of your evening today. And, yeah, hope to continue to have you as a listener and excited to publish this as a having you as a guest as well.
0: Oh, no worries at all. Yeah, thank you.
1: That's all for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening in and I do hope you enjoyed and found some gems of inspiration to take away with you. For more vocational learning and technology insight, go to www.ufi.co.uk and check out the blog. That's all for now. Thanks for subscribing and listening. Bye bye.